Hey Seinfeld fans, we've got lots of really cool things we're planning for Bidwabask in the future. That's right, we're growing and evolving. And to help us in that process, we're asking you to take literally two minutes to answer a really small survey that we've set up. That's right, if you head to the link that's in our show notes of the podcast, we'd really, really appreciate it. We sure would. And uh, thanks so much for your support. And now on to this week's episode. Paper. Uh, bad news, my friend. What? What news? Zentrax. Oh, come on. It's down again. Two and a half points. Oh, I can't believe it. Let me see that. <laughs> That's four and a half points in three days. That's almost half my money. Hey, I told you. Yeah, you told me. It's all manipulated with junk bonds. You can't win. <laughs> but I don't want to be a secondary character. Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And every week we talk about the best show ever on TV, Seinfeld, and uh, it's secondary characters. We get an episode every week and uh, we talk about the secondary characters, you know, the underrated unsung heroes of the show, and we dissect them and uh, talk a bit about them. That's right. And uh, this week we are talking about The Stock Tip, the final episode of Season 1. And uh, with us we have two very special guests. All the way from New York City, we have twins, Zach and Aaron, who run the blog Seinfeld Law. Say hello, guys. Hey, how are you? Hey, great to be on. Yeah, it's great great for you to both uh, be with us, uh, I guess, this morning in Melbourne and tonight over over where you are in New York. That's right. Uh, and a big before we uh, get on with the episode, a big shout out to uh, listener Jeff, yes. who sort of... Uh, I guess got this got this happening. So he he included both of us in a tweet. He tagged Seinfeld Law and he tagged uh, our Twitter. And he said, "Let's make this happen." And uh, and and he got us together. So thanks very much, Jeff. Yeah, no, much appreciated. And then uh, you guys got in touch with us, and uh, a few weeks later, here we are. So awesome. Yeah, it's all working out. And uh, just in case you're wondering, uh, we are on one microphone today at the moment because of the uh, limitations with Skype. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry if, if it sounds a bit strange or a bit different to what you're usually used to. But uh, we're yep. doing our best here. We're getting nice and close, Stephen and I, yeah, uh, rubbing shoulder to shoulder. It is a cold day here in Melbourne, so it's uh, nice and intimate. Yes, it sure is. <laughs> it's, very, it's very fitting. <laughs> yes, indeed. Cool. Uh, mm, all right. You were going to come in. <laughs> uh, I was, yeah. So this is a bit of a different dynamic where we're sharing a microphone, so yes, we might yes. talk over each other. Um, before we kick off the episode, uh, just letting you know we are on social media. Our handle is at Bidwabask. We are available on every podcast service, so uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, if you want to leave us a five-star review, that would be amazing. We are now on Patreon as well, as of a few weeks ago, uh, patreon.com forward slash Bidwabask. That's right, yes. And, and oh, I was going to say, this is our um, season finale for Bidwabask, but if you are a Patreon a subscriber and you give us at least $2 a month or more, you can access this episode two weeks earlier. So, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've just uh, put up a new tier for $5 a month with all sorts of uh, fancy, fancy uh, stuff that you can get. Yeah, that's right. You want bread? Five dollars instead of the usual three. You want Patreon? So. It's five dollars. <laughs> yes. So go to patreon.com forward slash bidwabask if you want to become a subscriber and uh, help us out. And you get right. some cool stuff. Yep. And uh, before we get into Seinfeld news, uh, I think you guys, Zach and Aaron, should talk a bit about, uh, I guess, yourselves as Seinfeld fans, uh, who you are and what you do with Seinfeld Law. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah, so uh, my name is Zach. I'm, I grew up here in, uh, in, actually in New Jersey, moved to New York for uh, college and then law school. Um, I just graduated from Columbia Law School here in New York. 
uh, and will be starting work uh, in a couple weeks at a law firm here in the city. Uh, Seinfeld Law was kind of the product of, of my brother and I and two friends. Um, we, uh, the four of us were in law school, uh, actually different law schools, but we all lived in the same area here in New York. And uh, we would chit chat, we're all big Seinfeld fans, and we talk about Seinfeld uh, kind of obsessively, which is a good thing on this podcast. And, uh, and we all joked about how the fact that a lot of the cases we were reading in law school were so similar to Seinfeld episodes. And I always kind of wondered what would happen if you know, we broke down a Seinfeld episode like we would break down a, a, a case that we were reading in law school at the time. And then after two years of not doing anything, uh, we finally made it happen, and uh, we've had a lot of fun writing it, uh, and it's been kind of a much bigger success than we ever thought it would be. It started out kind of a fun idea, and now uh, it's really grown into something that we're we're trying to maintain, and, and people seem to love it. Both lawyers love it, and Seinfeld fans love it. So uh, it's been fun to write, and thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, yeah no, no worries. It's great to have you both. And I'll tell you about myself. I'm Aaron. I graduated from New York University Law School, and um, just to add to what Zach was saying about the blog, we... Um, in addition to talking about how uh, the cases that we were reading could be analyzed through Seinfeld episodes, we also were trying to um, expose like various legal issues um, and use Seinfeld as a launching point for talking about them. So, like one of our most awesome posts has been uh, the puppy shirt and talking about how uh, whether there was a real contract form uh, for Jerry to wear the puppy shirt. So things like that, where you're talking about like what makes up an oral contract or for instance, here, like what would constitute insider trading and whether these characters have really violated the law or whether they've gotten themselves into a legal predicament that they didn't expect to happen and how that would play out in a real court of law. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I've read, I've read some of your articles and yeah, they, I guess they're really, um, really interesting to get like a legal perspective because I could imagine, you know, the, the core four, you know, George, Jerry, Elaine and Kramer, I'm sure they've broken so many laws. I mean, do you think they definitely deserve to go to jail, you know, after everything they've done? You think they deserve the more than one year of jail, like, from your perspective? <laughs> well, it's funny because in the last episode, uh, they don't really don't deserve jail for that crime. But all the other stuff that they've done, they probably have multiple uh, monetary fines and uh, probably should go to jail for, for some crimes that they committed. Fun fact, actually, where Aaron uh, went to law school uh, is where Sharon, the journalist who outed Jerry and George in the outing, uh, was a, was in journalism school at the time. So, oh, that's right, NYU. Uh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So we did yeah. an episode from the of the outing. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And you did an article, I think, about uh, was it defamation or, or regarding the outing or? Yeah, we did an article on whether it's defamation. Uh, yeah, obviously, yeah. here in America, our First Amendment protections uh, for public speech is is much much broader than it is in Europe. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but yeah, it turns out Jerry uh, had no case against her. If uh, okay. Information, yeah. Okay. When you guys uh, analyze a Seinfeld episode from uh, a legal perspective, do you relate it to uh, New York state law or federal law, or do you just relate it to whatever it's relevant to? Because obviously, you know, what you just mentioned is, is constitutional law rather than, say, a New York state law. Do you, do you sort of, do you analyze it from one level of the law, if that makes sense, or do you just, whatever it's relevant to, do you sort of uh, take it from that perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. So on things that are more like constitutional, um, so we just did something on abortion. Now we're tackling those usually from a federal constitutional perspective. Uh-huh, yes. Smaller issues, like when we do like a criminal law-based uh, post, then we're looking at the New York criminal law and talking about uh, more specifically uh, the New York the New York Code of Law. Uh, yep. But then like we've yep. done some episodes, uh, some posts on like whether Elaine uh, 
uh, violated uh, public nudity law when she sent out the nipple pic on her Christmas. <laughs> oh, <episode>. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That was a fun one. So we, uh, I did that one uh, on both both the federal and the New York law because then, like, sometimes the, the laws are different. So Yeah. True. I guess I guess it would uh, apply federally if the card went out to someone out of state. Exactly right. Oh, you guys are budding lawyers. Oh, yeah. someone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just I, I listen to a couple of uh, legal podcasts. I listen to one called Opening Arguments, and uh, my my knowledge of American law is surprisingly good, considering I'm not a lawyer and I don't know much about it. And Law and Order as well. That's probably my oh. two my two greatest sources of knowledge. <laughs> I learned that on guitar the other day. Oh, did you? It's such oh, nice. a fun little theme tune to play. <laughs> yes. so, is your as as uh, New York's uh, New York people in New York? Do, every time you enter a new place, does it go dun dun? Every time I go in a courthouse, it's just yeah it's dun, dun 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 dun. And is that like when you walk? You know, is, like if you're with cops, is it the two of you as lawyers, <laughs> and then two cops walking, sort of you know, in line down a down a courthouse hall, all smiling, like the introduction of Law and Order? Is that yeah, a and actually the, the wind is billowing our, our trench coats as we go. Ah, oh, <laughs> yes, of yeah. course. Wow, definitely <laughs> got to move to New York. Are you guys planning on doing, like, another law blog on regarding other sitcoms or any other TV shows, or are you just sticking with Seinfeld at the moment and see how that goes? Yes, yeah, so so people have asked that. Um, we're sticking with Seinfeld because we, we know the show, you know, really well, the ins and outs of it, and we kind of can think of good ideas. But people have suggested, like, How I Met Your Mother, Friends, and other, like, kind of just day-in-the-life type episodes. Um, there was one we were talking about with doing with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which oh. is a, not a sitcom, but also a really great show um, about um, how the vampires can't enter homes, whether that <laughs> police can enter a home, that kind of stuff. Vampires' um, legal rights, you know, yeah, all the rights exactly. they have. <laughs> we're keeping it to Seinfeld now, but, you know, maybe tvlaw.com, if the domain name is open, maybe we would... Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to do like a full uh, like analyze all the episodes of another show but we might do like guest posts on other other shows like every once in a while we'll, do, we'll slip in a different show as like a as a breather but I don't think we're gonna do uh, like a whole another another show and have like a post every week about a different show True. okay cool. do you have to do much research when you do a blog post for Seinfeld Law or is most of it just because you've been studying it and uh, you're about to be lawyers is most of it just in you know knowledge that you have anyway or do you have to do a bit of a deep dive uh, it depends on the post. Um, there were a lot of times when I'd be sitting in class and we'd be talking about something with the professor, and I'd be like writing up the Seinfeld law in class as we were going through a case because it'd be so topical. But then there are other times when you know you have you're watching a Seinfeld episode and you see something that you want to write about, but and then we gotta do a deep dive. So like right now, I'm sitting on the couch over here. Zach has a textbook open because he's doing research on another another issue and. You know, reading like Supreme Court cases online has been, a, has been another big thing, but it, it depends on the uh, on the post that we're doing. True. true. Yeah. I imagine. Just, um, I imagine. Just, I was going to say. I imagine. Um, you know, sometimes studying law might be a bit dry and a bit boring, but uh, studying it through the prism of Seinfeld might might make it a bit more fun. Oh yeah, for sure. And actually, what what um we kind of hope was we were trying to think of maybe turning this into a resource for law students who uh, are having trouble with a particular case or, or legal concept, and they can go to this and see how it plays out. Through the fun of Seinfeld and get a really better understanding of what uh, of how it plays out in law. Yeah, it kind of reminds me in a way, um, you know, in high school, I had good teachers and bad teachers like everyone, but sometimes a teacher would come along and, you know, they would they would be teaching a really dry, boring topic, but through like, you know, a fun way, like they would play music or they would try and uh, sort of jazz it up a bit through whatever. So this kind of reminds me of that. It's like... They played the Seinfeld theme while you're learning algebra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. If, if my high school if my high school through education was through the prism of Seinfeld, I would have been a much better student. Oh, definitely. <laughs> As would I. 
Yeah. Um, and, and when we were studying for the bar exam this past summer, uh, it was really helpful to write up posts on the bar exam topics, and I'd send it out to our friends, and they would all be like, oh, it's like now it makes so much more sense because you can see it being played out in a situation. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's good. That's amazing. I love uh, I love the amalgamation of uh, your, your studies and now career and uh, one of the greatest, well, you know, what we think is the greatest sitcom of all time. It's, it's perfect. Yes. It's, a, it's an excellent combination. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. For sure. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll uh, we'll kick on with the yeah, podcast. Yeah, one hundred percent. Let's get into some Seinfeld news. All right. To kick off this week's Seinfeld news, we've only got two this week. Bit of a quieter week. Oh, two articles usually have like a dozen or something, don't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> it's getting more and more and more intense. Yeah, nice. Uh, so through the week, uh, or I should say, a couple of weeks ago, an article came out uh, on Money Week talking about the concept of contrarian investing. Oh. Speaking of dry topics, here's oh, one for you. Here we go. Explain. <laughs> Uh, so it's a concept that involves gauging the direction of market sentiment, being the stock market, uh, and then investing the opposite way when it hits an extreme. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like shorting stocks or shorting markets, maybe. Nice. Um, and the name uh, of the... Uh, well, I guess you could compare it to Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, and the article makes a comparison to George in The Opposite. Yes. Where he basically goes against his uh, instincts. Yes. And uh, he has a series of successes resulting in him having a, a you know quite an attractive girlfriend. Yes. And uh, eventually... A job at the New York Yankees. The cup of tea makes a difference. That's right. Yeah. It does. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, can you speak to that in any way? Is that a, I mean, do you know much about finance law? Uh, not as much. I mean, I can kind of walk through maybe some basic questions, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can definitely walk you through some of it. Okay. Um, well, nah, we'll leave it for now. <laughs> Jeez, you don't just build it up, Stephen, and then suddenly he's going, ah. That's what I do. I build people up and then bring them down. Oh, man. <laughs> Poor guys. Cool. Sorry, guys. Uh, the second bit of news. Uh, Will Ferrell, he is putting on a night on October 6th. It's called Will Ferrell's Best Night of Your Life. Uh, and it's basically a charity super comedy show uh-huh. uh, with guests including uh, Jerry Seinfeld, obviously, uh, Zoe Deschanel, Jim Jeffries, members of Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, and a whole bunch more. Uh, all of the money being raised goes towards Cancer for College. Huh, um, yeah. I oh, Actually, there's a, there's a really funny uh, YouTube sort of preview for it. Um, and, yeah. It's good. It's good. So Jerry's going to be um, doing some stand-up. Yes. Yeah. Have, you, have you guys ever seen Jerry live at all? Uh, I have not. Uh, I have a friend who uh, who did see him. Actually, I think his did his law firm take him there. He got tickets on the side. Yeah, I think the law firm took him there. Yeah, that oh. was a big. Um, I I've seen his YouTube clips, but unfortunately, uh, I haven't seen him on the subway, and I haven't seen him uh, in in theater either. But uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he lives in upstate New York these days, right? Because because uh, sometimes you see his house on comedians and cars getting coffee, and it looks like it's a bit out of town. He might be out on Long Island. Okay. Okay. Or maybe if there's ever a screening of Schindler's List, you know, maybe him and Jessica will be there making out, and you guys will probably spot him from the, from a distance. And you'll dob him in. You'll dob him into his parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Jerry does actually call into uh, one of the local sports radio shows. He's uh, Jerry from Queens. Uh, if you listen late at night, you might you might get a chance to hear him. Ah. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So he, he he moonlights as like a caller for the radio. Just an average guy talking about the New York Mets. Yeah. He Really, Jerry just calls in. Nice, Jerry from Queens. Is that a regular thing, or is that just sporadic? He just calls in when he feels like it. It's fairly sporadic. I've actually never, uh, I've never heard him call in, but uh, it's legendary that he does, uh, and they'll reference other callers will reference him. So uh, it's definitely, it's definitely real. Oh, there you go. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> That's cool. As you think, he wouldn't like he. 
Like, I wonder why he'd use Jerry, though. You think he'd use another name? Uh, probably just a bit of a joke. Maybe his voice would, like, kind of give it away. Yeah. Well, hi, my name's uh, Anthony from uh, Brooklyn. <laughs> you know? <laughs> What's the deal with the Mets? I'm Kerry Spinefeld. Kerry <laughs> <Carrie> Spinefeld. <laughs> yes. Cool. Uh, that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, Stephen. And uh, we're going to have a little break. And uh, when we come back, we'll, uh, the three of us, or the four of us, rather, we'll talk about the stock tip from Season 1, Episode 5. Hi, this is Zach. And Aaron from Seinfeld Law. And uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. You're looking for a brand new podcast with some interesting guests? Well, you found it. Listen to In Melbourne last week with me, Ivan Pugioni. I talk to a different guest every week about their occupation, their hobby, their love for something, whatever it may be. Always interesting, so be sure to subscribe. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Podbean. So be sure to get in touch and listen to some really cool people on a really cool podcast. Welcome back to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. And today we're talking about the Stock Tip, Season 1, Episode 5. And we have two very special guests with us today. We have all the way from New York City, or New York, uh, Zach and Aaron. They're uh, part of Seinfeld Law, a uh, legal blog which uh, where they talk about uh, different episodes or themes of Seinfeld and they relate them to uh, the legal system over in the United States. So, hey, guys. Hey, what's going on? Happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. Well, we did just do a bit of Seinfeld news just before, and uh, I guess I'll be going through a an episode synopsis of the stock tip. So uh, let's get into it, huh? Sounds good. All right, good. ready to go? Good. Alrighty, so first aid in the United States on Je- uh, June 21st, 1990. Directed by Tom Sharones. Uh, written by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, while dining at Monk's, Elaine tells Jerry and George that she's suffering from an allergic reaction to her boyfriend Robert's cats. Uh, George reads the business section of the newspaper. He learns that a stock that a friend of a friend of his, Simon's friend Wilkinson, had tipped him off to had gone up. George invests five grand in the stock and persuades Jerry to invest two and a half thousand. I love how George goes, I'm going to invest five thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Tight ass. Um, Jerry persuades his girlfriend Vanessa, played by Lynn Clark, to go away with him to a bed and breakfast in Vermont. He reads the newspaper in hope that his stock has gone up, but it has in fact fallen in value. Six six points in three days. Something like that. Oh, it goes up six points at the end. Yeah, it does. When, when, he, when he actually sells. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next day, Kramer tells Jerry that his stock has fallen again. Jerry calls George to get advice from Wilkinson, but no one can find him. George rings him back and tells Jerry that Wilkinson is actually in hospital, and Jerry wants to sell his stock, but George insists that the tip is good. What if he's in an iron lung? (laughs) (laughs) George says that he'll go and visit Wilkinson to find out what they should do, despite the fact that George doesn't know him personally. Meanwhile, at Jerry's apartment, Elaine says that the only way that she can get rid of Robert's cats is if she should have some form of accident and offers Jerry the job, but he refuses. Definitely a lot of, I guess, animal uh, cruelty-related charges (laughs) regarding that if you killed a cat. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we can get into, uh, I guess, animal cruelty and insider trading a little bit later, but uh, I can imagine there'd be a lot of ramifications for killing an animal. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, and it's just not nice. Just don't kill animals. No. You know, cats are pretty vulnerable. Well, you know, they've got their claws and stuff, but, uh, you know, they... They can't beat like a shovel or, you know, yeah. whatever that you use to... Some sort of weapon. Yeah, I'd some probably, sort of weapon, I'd yeah. probably choose my cats over a girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> Not my girlfriend, a girlfriend. <laughs> Jeez. Uh-oh. Uh, 
you're in trouble, mate. You're in trouble. Anyway, meanwhile, I better move on before this gets hairy. Uh, Wilkinson throws George out of the hospital as soon as he mentions Simon, indicating the two had a falling out. Jerry sells his shares while George decides to go down with the ship. Uh, Jerry takes Vanessa to Vermont, but Rainy Weather keeps them stuck inside the B&B. He regrets going with her because they have nothing to talk about. Jerry reads the business section of the newspaper to see that the stock has risen dramatically since he sold it. Vanessa claims that Jerry only took her to Vermont because he lost so much money. Back in New York, George celebrates selling his stock after he netted a profit of $8,000, which uh, back in 1990, not a bad uh, amount of money, right? Probably close to about uh, 15 grand in American dollars now. Yeah, not bad. That would buy you, uh, I guess, many nice little things. It would buy you a Hyundai. A Hyundai. (laughs) It's a Hyundai. It's a Hyundai. Uh, Elaine says that she gave Robert an ultimatum and he chooses the cats. Uh, George tells Jerry and Elaine that Wilkinson has another stock tip involving some sort of robot butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I've got actually got a bit of trivia about robot butchers. Okay. Apparently they're a real thing wow. these days, yes. Um, what, what's your... Uh, about the episode, guys, what's your, uh, what's your favourite part of that episode? George is always the best in everything that he does. I think it's one of the few episodes that George actually comes out a winner. Uh, yes. First season, uh, but it's great to see George actually do something correct. Yeah, that's a very good point. He usually fails, and uh, this time he su- succeeds, which is very interesting. Yeah, we've we've yeah. talked about that a bit uh, when we did uh, Mail Unbonding. Uh, sorry, not Mail Unbonding. Um, the Seinfeld Chronicles, the pilot episode. He doesn't really come out a winner, but he actually gives Jerry some really good advice in that episode. Yeah. Um, so I think in I don't know. I'm guessing in in the writing between season one uh, and two, they kind of wanted him to. You know, be a bit more of a, a loser. Yeah. You know, they were like, no, no, this guy needs to be a bit more of a, a fuck up. So, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's a pretty common thing in season one. I mean, in the very first episode, The Seinfeld Chronicles, George doesn't really come out a winner, but he, he gives Jerry good advice. Yeah, I know, uh, he does. In that episode, and then in this one, but then, uh, you know, from season two onwards, he's just the classic loser, fuck up, train wreck of a human being that he is. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, and then by you know the end of the series, he's just an erotic loser. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> but we all still want to be him. It's very weird. Yeah, very strange. I want to be like George. Yes. Um, trivia question or trivia about the episode, guys. So uh, the first episode, or this is actually the first episode to mention Superman, and uh, the first scene with Jerry and George at Monks, which is, I guess, leads the way for uh, every other Superman reference on the show. That's right. And an earlier draft of the episode uh, features Jerry arguing that in a nuclear holocaust, uh, when everyone's very depressed, Superman could cheer everyone up with his super humour. Yes. Um, you know, he, he, you know, we all know that Jerry likes uh, Superman. And <laughs> I guess it stands to reason that he would have super humour. Oh, he would, yeah. As well as superpowers. Yeah. Well, every other superpower, super strength, super, super everything. <laughs> why would he have super humour? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Very funny guy. Um, and also, guys, to keep continuity, Larry David, he actually decided to keep uh, Vanessa in the episode as uh, she and Jerry had been dating since the stakeout, so episode two. Uh, no breakout was shown uh, in between episodes. So Larry thought, you know what, I'll just keep her in. Yeah. And she's, uh, well, I guess she's uh, Jerry's second longest running girlfriend yeah. behind Rachel Goldstein, who we covered <laughs> in our last What's the Deal With uh, episode uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and, oh, sorry, two, ep- two oh, episodes. I, I, I don't remember anymore. I've lost count after, like, the 50th episode. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I can't just, be bothered being clear about it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and also, guys, do you notice that, um, you know how guys later on in the season or the series that George says that he can't smoke cigars because, you know, he claims that they make him sick? He mentions that in season four and season seven. Do you guys remember remember that at all? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in this one, you actually see George with a cigar when he celebrates his winnings. Isn't oh, that? Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, a bit of a continuity uh, continuity issue there. Yeah, 
uh, amongst well, many other things. It's such a uh, it's such a different show. It feels like we're, I mean, Kramer's not just that characters evolve, but like Kramer's a really different guy before really the third season when he goes off to LA that's what he comes to do his own mostly yeah he's a lot more subdued in season one he's not as uh, wacky and he doesn't come up with I mean actually no in this episode he's still got a bit of a wacky idea um, I can't remember his business idea oh the, uh, the, the make your own pizza pie no no the, uh, the, the necktie where you just like <laughs> oh, peel the, it off. oh the roll on the, the necktie yes yeah. that's right you know. oh well, you got mustard oh <laughs> I love the motions he does. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so you can see the wackiness of Kramer coming out. But uh, yeah, it definitely comes out in season two and three. It sure does. Um, and do you know, oh, actually, do you have some more trivia? Uh, yeah, the only other trivia fact I have is that this was the last episode to be filmed at Renmar Studios in Hollywood. Ah. Uh, from the second season on, uh, all episodes were moved over to CBS Studio Center in Studio City in uh, Los Angeles. There you go. Yeah, so a totally different uh, studio and a different uh, stage. No, oh, there you go. Yeah, so... I imagine uh, packing down and resetting up the set would have been a pretty uh, pretty complicated job. Oh, well, someone's got to do it. Yeah. They have plenty of crew. That's true. So, uh, yes. And this episode as well, it actually it was enough to get uh, Seinfeld over the line and commission them for a second season, and uh, it became the show that we all love. That's right. And so, we write legal blogs and do podcasts about. Yeah, so, so. St- still going on 20 years, uh, 20 years later. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. And also, fellas... And, oh, sorry, what were you saying? I was going to say, I don't think people realise how close the show was to being cancelled early on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was almost uh, it was going to be one of those cancelled, you know, season one sitcoms. Yeah, I think we covered uh, at some point this season of our podcast where Larry David more or less had to beg or at least, quote-unquote, persuade mm. uh, the executives at NBC to, 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 to uh, go through with the second season and, and subsequent seasons. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it all worked out because here we are. So one last trivia fact, Stephen. Uh, robot butchers, they do indeed exist. Um, so in Australia, anyway, the um, the meat processing industry is rapidly automating. Um, you know, with automation, how, you know, they reckon half of the jobs will be gone in like 30 years yeah, uh, or whatever. You know, it's pretty frustrating, especially with workers. It's apparently the meat processing industry. I'm not sure if it's the same in the US. Um, but, yeah, that's rapidly being automated. And they reckon that a lot of jobs will be gone in the next decade. Yeah. I think yeah. that applies to most industries. AI and, you know, algorithms are becoming a lot more commonplace. Mm. Yeah. And also because there is a decreasing demand for meat worldwide. Um, and also there's an increase in live exports. Oh, so, uh, okay. yeah, that that, that that all culminates into a very struggling industry. I'm, I'm not sure about the American industry. It's, but probably, it was, it's, it's probably, probably the same. Probably the same. Probably similar. Yeah. Do, yeah. You guys, do you guys have to contend with uh, automation and AIs and uh, that sort of thing in uh, your in, in, you know, in the legal world? Is that, is that a, a future uh, sort of concern for you? Yeah, I mean, some of it's um, not necessarily with AI, although, you know, once, once that gets a little more developed, it might come about. What you're seeing a lot is, um, you know, with the development of the internet and easy access to preformed documents or whatever, um, you know, some of the more simple legal tasks like marriage documents, some, some basic divorce documents, basic wills, uh, where you would hire, like, a local lawyer, like, a, you know, your, your local town lawyer uh, to do that. You can just download from from a website at times, uh, and that you know maybe is easier on the consumer, but uh, it definitely has removed some of the the legal jobs out there and some of the legal work that's available. And you you are seeing in in some respect AI a little bit with regards to um, discovery issues and combing through records, like when uh, going through text messages or uh, emails and other forms of records, where now the computer is being programmed to search for certain keywords. So if you're if you're doing a litigation case on topic X. So you you might program the computer to look through all these uh, emails and, and and target like whatever that topic is, and then they'll they'll filter out all the other emails that are not important for the case that you're working on. So needless to say, when when George is investigating who uh, damaged his briefcase, uh, he probably would have had an easier time with some AI on his side. True. Oh, he would have. Yes, yeah, definitely. That's true. You know. 
Uh, is that is that a case of like um, you know if if you're a lawyer and you're you've got a, a really complicated case, but you can just sort of uh, give some of the more mundane work to a program to comb through emails or texts or whatever? Does that free up time and energy and sort of uh, cognitive? I guess, space for a lawyer to, to be a bit more creative with the case that they might be dealing with? Like, is that a benefit to the lawyer because they don't have to expend so much mental energy just doing that mundane, uh, you know, combing through paperwork? Yeah, so, I mean, it, you know, it's it, I mean, in some ways it's a benefit. Like you said, you have more free time. On the other hand, um, then you're not necessarily really familiar, uh, like really did a deep dive into the documents to know exactly what they say because you're kind of getting a, a digested version of them as opposed to reasoning through. Um, what it also does is takes away some of the low, lower level legal jobs that um, you know people who are just starting their careers can do and kind of work their way up. Um, so that that kind of maybe prevents just a, a you know more lawyers finding jobs that are available for what you know young lawyers are doing. Um, but yeah, like you said, I guess it definitely does. If you're as you work your way through your career, you don't necessarily want to be doing that kind of work anyway. So it frees up some of that mental space for doing more complex problems. But you know, there's some cost to it as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, the world still needs you know human lawyers and human podcasters. So I think you and I, I think we'll both, or oh, the four of us, will be okay. The only yeah. the only difference is that you guys are going to make uh, a good living being lawyers. We don't make any money being podcasters. So. <laughs> Not yet. Anyway. If if automation takes uh, podcasting over, it doesn't really affect us financially. <laughs> no. <laughs> we can still pay the rent. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we should just become coders. We'll make the AI that takes the jobs. Yeah, it sounds good. We can do like, but I don't want to be a secondary character, but AI can do it. You know, we'll have robots. It's like, hello, my name is. Mr. X. <laughs> and I'm Mr. Y. Welcome to, but I don't want to be a secondary character. We'll have to program like a whiny Jerry voice in there. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yes. That's my terrible Jerry Seinfeld impersonation. Yeah. Um, I apologize for the awful accents. <laughs> anyway, before we do get into secondary characters, I reckon, um, Zach and Aaron, I guess we could talk just briefly about possibly, um, you know, any like law or legislation regarding maybe insider trading um, regarding this? Because obviously George, you know, he does the legitimate thing. He buys stock and then he sells it for a profit. But I mean, would there be any legal ramifications, I guess, with say receiving, you know, tips or, you know, like the character Wilkinson to me, he seems like a kind of shady kind of, you know, investor or, you know, kind of broker. I mean, are there any, like, legal ramifications with regards to, like, insider trading or if, say, George went, like, the dodgy the dodgy route to, to get the information? I mean, is there anything like that? Yeah, and also... Yes, sorry, sorry. Uh, does does George actually break a law in this episode? Did, was, you know, the information that he received before it was publicly announced, like, is that does that constitute insider trading? Yeah, so the short answer that we were able to figure out is, is probably no, since George is so far removed from the actual information, he's probably not going to face liability. But um, there would be circuit, like, Wilkerson uh, might face liability depending on exactly how he acquired this information. Um, you know, there's a lot of, like, I don't know, Australian television here in New York, uh, or in, on, you know, United States cable, we have a lot of talking heads, financial guys who, who make stock predictions. And those guys aren't doing insider trading. They're just basing it on their sense and ability to, to break down, you know, the news and information and, and give good advice. Um, but yeah, like there's a situation if George had gotten this from a direct insider for the CEO of a company, uh, if Wilkerson had worked for the company that he, um, you know, that they were buying, then, then George really could face some liability. Mm. Yeah, I think some of the issues here is that uh, we don't know where Wilkerson's getting the information from. So even though intuitively, I think we all feel like he uh, has some some kind of some kind of insider connection to the company, but it's not actually explicitly stated in the episode. And so there's this tension of whether he's just some kind of stock 
uh, savant and he's making predictions the way like a guy on CNBC or whatever Australian uh, business uh, channel you might have, um, or whether he's actually somebody who's inside the company or who has sources inside the company and is getting insider information. And then you have who's another like an, a third party in between him and George, and so that also causes other issues about whether uh, George actually would face liability because he might not know where the information is coming from. On the other hand, he seems to know that Wilkerson. Um, you know, got this information maybe surreptitiously. So it's really a fact-based question, and it's hard to know because the information in the episode is so limited about where Wilkerson actually got this information from. Right. Who is it? The FEC in uh, is it? Are they an American, uh, like a federal organization, or are they a New York organization? Yeah. So the, the FEC uh, is the Election Commission. Oh, sorry. Uh, who's the who's the the the, the government organization that uh, looks at financial crimes? Oh, the IRS. No, no, not the IRS. They're the tax. Oh. Uh, no. So this is the SEC Securities. SEC, oh, SEC. right? Yeah, yeah, I knew yeah, it was yeah. something EC. Okay. Yeah. Well, it definitely had an S in it. Yeah, I, I was a third, right? So, you know. <laughs> so, so just like if this if this was part of a bigger case in real life, where you know, say Wilkinson, or if he was working at the company, or if he had a direct contact in the company, and the SEC were uh, doing a broad investigation into insider trading, and uh, in that investigation, it captured you know, any benefit, like second or third or fourth sort of down the line beneficiaries like George, if they, in, just say the SEC uh, interviewed George and he gave them, you know, all the information of like this information to me is fourth hand and I just traded five grand and I made a bit of money, would the SEC just go, okay, cool, well, this guy's not really part of the, the, the proper investigation and just let him go? Um, so what would likely happen, I think, is that you probably have to pay a restitution for that uh, because if, uh, if it was found that he... That George, you know, knew that it was coming from an insider source because he's so far down the chain, he's probably not going to face uh, criminal liability or jail time. And what's really likely to happen is that uh, if it was a federal investigation, they try to get George to flip on Simmons and then incriminate Simmons and then have uh, Simmons. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So they would go up the chain to the, who the big fish is. Yeah, right. ah. kind of, kind of like Mueller at the moment. How he's, uh, he's sort of, he's trying to get up to Trump by, you know, getting, getting his inside circle to flip and working his way up the chain. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah, great, great analogy. Uh, and actually, the de- the the penalty though, it's not you don't have to pay back no profits. It's you pay triple profits. So George makes eight grand in the episode. So he'd have to pay thirty-two. Uh, 20, oh no, twenty-four. Twenty-four. Yeah. Twenty-four. Huh, I was terrible with math. Is that is that a case of well, you know, you're paying back your uh, you know the benefit you got out of it plus the is the tripling kind of just a fine? Yeah, it's supposed to disincentivize you from from doing this. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. Right. I guess the next one. Well, I guess we'll go to a quick break shortly. But just one more thing. Uh, legally, um, you know, Elaine mentions that she'll like half jokingly get the cats, you know, Robert's cats killed off, and you know, she asks Jerry to do it, and Jerry says no. I mean, are there any? Obviously, talking about it, I guess there's probably no legal ramifications. But I mean, what are the uh, the animal cruelty? Um, related legislation, particularly in New York, like what would happen if Jerry decided, yeah, I'm going to kill those cats? Depends on how, you know, if they, if they killed it, it would probably be a felony here in New York. Okay. Um, and it's also a felony on the federal level. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Huge. Yeah. And yeah, if, yeah. if they just did some yeah. kind of harm to the cat, it, it might drop down to a misdemeanor level or uh, some smaller criminal liability. Is but, there. Uh, another, is, oh, yeah, go ahead. So I was going to say, is there a federal, um, uh, you, you know, uh, piece of legislation that covers animal cruelty or the treatment of animals specifically, or would it fall under a broader or a different piece of legislation? Uh, it would. It, there's a lot of state law involving it. Um, I believe there's also some some federal law, um, but you know, the feds aren't probably going to come after you for 
killing your neighbor's cat or you know you but it, they might come after you if you had some kind of broader like um uh, uh, like dog fighting cases or cock fighting cases. Oh yeah, uh, sure. Like the little Jerry. Like the little Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you? Have you? I think you've done a blog on the little Jerry, haven't you? Uh, we have not done the little Jerry. What we did was when Elaine kidnaps. Um, oh, the dog. The, the dog. dog. That's right. What's it called? The uh, engagement episode. Yeah. So uh-huh. uh, Elaine's relationship with uh, pets is not, is not really that strong. No, not really. She doesn't really like animals. She's not. She's there. not much of an animal advocate. Well, I'm looking forward to you guys doing like a little Jerry uh, blog post about cock fighting. You know, because I'm pretty sure it's illegal in New York. I'm pretty sure it's illegal everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, it's basically everywhere in the world. I think we did when when we did the episode. There was trivia. I think cockfighting is basically illegal in every country. Yeah. I think the last country was somewhere in South America. It was Central like America. It might yeah, have it might have been Bolivia something like that. Or Guatemala. Or something. Yeah, but it was only like two years ago they banned it. Yeah. Up <laughs> until then, it was legal in one of those countries. It was really uh, surprising. Yeah, I was like, what? Really? Yeah. So I'm looking forward where to reading about that. Where did he fly in the the uh, the chicken from? Uh, it was Ecuador. Ecuador. Yeah, is it Ecuador? I'm sure it was Ecuador, yeah. Somewhere in Central or South yeah. America. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> it's like a big foghorn, lake horn yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chicken. <laughs> and it, it's I'll like- just say one, one, one quick note about the animal cruelty issue is um, if they would have videotaped it and put that up on the internet, that's actually an interesting First Amendment issue here about whether posting videos of animal cruelty could be deemed illegal or not. Uh-huh. Um, because it's such a uh, powerful right to free speech and free expression here. Oh, right. Uh, Someone actually said that uh, the legis- there was there was federal leg- legislation about not allowing those videos to be put on the internet, and the Supreme Court struck down the law because it was too strict. And uh-huh. so there was talk about how do you rewrite a law about um, making sure that animal cruelty videos don't end up on the internet, um, but how do you do it in a way that also is uh, in line with the First Amendment protections. So they can use the First Amendment to kind of get out of it. They can say, oh, it's my right to, to post the videos. Yeah, it, and, and uh, our post on the defamation sort of talked a little bit about First Amendment. We did something on hate speech also, and those are lines where like, you see that there's a harm to an individual, but the First Amendment's so strong where there might still be these protections that are allowed here. So even if, even if video footage showed a clear crime, like something really horrible being done to an animal, and then that person was charged they could possibly get out of that because, you know, if a lawyer was crafty enough or, or, or experienced enough, uh, their defense would be, well, even though I filmed myself doing something horrible to an animal, which is a clear-cut crime, it still violates my First Amendment rights. So I'm not going to... Oh, no. is, that, well, is, that, is that what you mean? Sorry? No, what I mean is that... So they, they might still get charged with a crime for, viol- for, for the animal cruelty, but posting the video on... Oh, I see. Animal- which tried to be a... When they wanted to make that a crime. Actually, oh, yeah, that'd be very... That'd be like a... Yeah, tough thing to, to kind okay, of so convict. In yeah. that case, it's yeah. not even really what is in the video. It's just the fact that they posted a video. Right. So would that video be a separate crime? So let's say Elaine wanted to like get back at uh, I forget the name of the boyfriend, but let's say she like killed the, the cats and then you know took a video and posted it online as as like some sort of taunting thing. So that posting that video could be a separate crime in addition to killing the cats. But she could use the First Amendment as like a defense. Yeah, for posting the video, but yep. killing the cat is not going to get the. First. Oh, obviously oh, okay, she'll right, get right. in trouble for that. Yeah, yeah. It's not like yeah. oh, I killed, I killed a dog or a cat. Oh, First Amendment. Yeah, you know. I thought that's I killed a, a person. That's... First Amendment. Yeah, I thought that's that's a pretty that's a pretty good loophole. If you just film yourself doing <laughs> yeah. something terrible, then you're exa- you're, 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 you're exonerated, exonerated from, from everything that you do. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> that's, that's a good legal yeah. legal loophole. I import kilos of heroin, but uh, I'm filming it and putting it on Facebook, so it's totally okay. Man, that would be like a legal loophole the size of the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. <laughs> like, so much crime could be committed. <laughs> Everyone would just be uh, filming their, their crimes. Yeah, that's it. And then you get away with it. That would be a scary world we'd live in. Anyway, let's take a quick break, guys. And when we come back, we'll talk about these secondary characters from the episode. What evidence is there that cats are so smart anyway, huh? What do they do? Because they're clean? I'm sorry. My Uncle Pete showers four times a day and he can't count to ten, so don't give me hygiene. So what are you going to do? I don't know. I can't think of any solution. Unless, of course, they should meet with some unfortunate accident. What do you think a hitman would charge to rub out a couple of cats? Well, it couldn't be too expensive. 13, 14 bucks a cat? Uh, hi, this is Zach from Seinfeld Law, and you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. And uh, on this episode, we are talking about the, st- the stock tip. That's right, guys. And uh, we've gone through a bit of a plot synopsis, some Seinfeld news, and uh, you've given us uh, a lot of information about the, uh, I guess, the the, the legal realities uh, of the themes in this episode and of some of the situations in this episode. That's right, yes. But uh, we should do what we do best and what we're all here to do, and let's talk about the secondary characters. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about Vanessa, uh, played by Lynn Clark. She's known for appearing in Melrose Place, Santa Barbara, and Grapevine, and she was also in The Stakeout from Season 1, as we mentioned before. Uh, she was, yeah, so she's been in two episodes of Seinfeld. That's right. She, well, she was kind of in four in a way. She, I mean, her, her story arc. Uh, oh, yeah, in terms of the episodes, story arc, yes. But, yeah. uh, she only makes an appearance in two episodes. And, uh, I just want to mention as well that, uh, Lynn Clark appeared in one of my favorite shows from the 90s. Uh, many fond memories of watching <laughs> Sliders with my family. Sliders. Jerry O'Connell, man. You know, he was the fat kid in Stand By Me. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Have you guys seen Stand By Me? Uh, I have not. No, I've never, uh, never seen that. Oh, uh, classic okay. film. Classic film, yeah. These four, it's like a coming of age film, four kids, and Jerry O'Connell's the, uh, the very overweight boy. Yeah. Yeah, in the group. And then he, uh, yeah, he slid into sliders. <laughs> he stopped eating sliders. <laughs> and he became so thin. Now he's too thin. That's what yeah. happened. He disappeared. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. Anyway, uh, she, funnily enough, is a lawyer, like our guest today. Yeah, she is. Yeah, so she works for, and bear with me, she works for Sagman, Bennett, Robbins, Oppenheimer, and Taft. Yes. Try saying that fast. Yeah, exactly. Can, I- you, go- can you guys say that fast? Uh, we can try. Do you want to try, Aaron? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it's- you got it. You guys nailed it. Are there any uh, are there any law firms in New York or anywhere that you're aware of uh, that have five names, like five partner names, or do they have a limitation? I think uh, there's one or two firms I know for sure. Actually, the firm I'm going to be working at uh, also has the name Taft in it, so go oh, figure. Oh, that's there perfect. There you go. Seinfeldism. That's, that's the ultimate Seinfeldism. That's perfect. There you go. Perfect. Maybe Vanessa's still there. Maybe she's one of the partners now of the firm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just beware of two creeps uh, waiting uh, at the bottom of the elevators. You know when you're when you're going on your lunch break, you'll walk in and you'll be like, "Hey, good to yeah. see you again." They'll be like, "Hey, Stephen and Ivan, what are you doing in New York?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> two creeps. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, nice to see you in person. Yeah, and you'll you'll just make up your own history. You'll be like, "Yeah, I'm an architect. I work in the building." That's right. Yeah. I thought our engineers did that. <laughs> Architects do that too. That's right. They sure do. <laughs> yes. So Vanessa, we have spoken about her uh, when we did the stakeout many seasons ago um i guess in this episode you know especially we can talk about her them in vermont you know clearly you know she thinks that jerry blew all his money and you know they couldn't stay somewhere nice or 
Yeah, I think she lost a lot of respect for him in mm. this episode. I think she seemed to be at a wit's end with the relationship anyway. Yeah, I think it was on the outer anyway. If you notice their interaction when they're in the supermarket, the only thing that she sort of reacts positively to is when Jerry makes jokes. So I think she's still going out with him because he's a funny guy. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think she sees them uh, long term. And no. then when they go to Vermont, it's just a confirmation. I mean, Jerry's Jerry's losing interest as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think I think at the end she was the one who called it off. Yeah. Because uh, George and Elaine give uh, give him a bit of shit when they're in the diner at the end. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think she just got sick of Jerry. You know, yeah. realized that he doesn't have a lot going for him in terms of what she wants out of a person or a relationship. Mm. And then uh, yeah, spending some time in Vermont just confirmed that. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I mean, what do you guys? I mean, in the legal profession, I guess Vanessa has a very uh, you know good sense of humor and stuff. Are there people like that? Like, you know, in, in the industry, like, are there people who, like, are most lawyers that you know, like, pretty straight-edged and don't really have, like, a sense of humour or are there some interesting characters? Like, what's it like, you know, from the lawyers that you've met? Uh, it, it depends on which uh, kind of law you're doing and because uh, each, each place is going to have its own culture. Um, I don't want to impugn any particular... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, might, I might have stayed for that question, but I think, I think lawyers tend to have... Uh, pretty good sense of humor. Um, a lot of like sharp-witted kind of humor. So I think a lot of Seinfeldian kind of humor people oh, appreciate. Nice, true. Yeah. Do do different lawyers or personalities uh, of lawyers are they attracted to different? I guess types of law. So you know, if you're a creative person who's a bit you know quirky, would you maybe do music law or some sort of creative law? Yeah, we, we we had a friend uh, when we were in college with who really wanted to work in fashion. Um, and he wanted to go to law school to work in fashion law because he thought it would be a better career than uh, and more stable career than working in fashion itself. Um, okay. So you see those people, yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Of course, by the way, the funniest profession uh, is the proctologist. I think. Oh, of course, <laughs> ass man. <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> they actually sell ass man. Sorry, ass man. Uh, forgive the accent. Uh, license plates as uh, some pretty fun accessories. Would you get away with having uh, what is technically a curse word uh, on a license plate in New York? I don't know. It's a good question. It probably would be okay. Okay. Yeah. I guess you could just yeah. say it's a donkey, like an like an ass instead of a you know an ass. Yeah. Ass. Maybe he's like a donkey farmer or something. Yeah. Ass man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he farms I've my, donkeys. I've got my own donkey farm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you want some donkey milk? <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, you, I think you guys should get a number plate, lawman. Lawman. That would be something special. Yeah. That would be. Yeah. I'm I think sure it's already taken. I think you should do like in Breaking Bad if you ever need to like have a have a um uh, uh what are they called a Meth lab? No, no. What, a uh, not an identity. What are they called? I don't know. Like a like a like a fake identity. I think you should uh, call yourselves Jackie Charles. That would definitely work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stupendous. What's your take on Jackie Charles? I know he's not in the episode, but do you think he's a stand-up formidable lawyer, or do you think he's uh, he could do a bit better? Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, he he doesn't uh, necessarily win all his cases, but uh, he's he's fantastic as a lawyer. I think he he has that right balance of. Of comedy with uh, quick wit and uh, intelligence that really makes a good lawyer. I mean, he's based on Johnny Cochran. Yeah, that's through, right. Uh, Simpson case. And uh, if you watch some of those OJ videos, I mean, he's he is a spitting image of of, uh, of, of Johnny Cochran. Oh, yeah, yes. Jackie Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's who it's based off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Did um uh do you think it was a case you know like because Kramer always fucks his cases up? Do you think <laughs> if he if he didn't have clients like Kramer, his he would be a bit more successful? Well, he certainly looks like he's successful from his office. Like he has a, uh, he got a secretary, I think, and he looks like he's uh, doing pretty well for himself. I'm sure uh, Kramer's, because Kramer always brought these big, big cases. I feel like he probably, you know, would have been 
a much bigger name if Kramer hadn't messed those up for him. But. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then he's, uh, he's, he's even got a direct line to a doctor. He took on the tobacco industry all by himself. Oh, I mean, he did, a, yes. That's right. That's true. He took every candy fortune. I mean, this guy was he was he was speaking truth to power. Yeah, that's true. And he was uh he went after a big uh, coffee corporation as well. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I'm trying to think. I don't I don't know if he's ever mentioned if he works on his own or if he's part of a larger law firm. Yeah, I never knew that either. You never really see like in the scenes in his office, you never it doesn't look like it's part of a bigger firm. It looks like a little office just for him. Yeah. And I don't think there's any external shots where you would see the um uh you know the firm with a sign that might indicate that it's a bigger firm with partners yeah yeah I would I would think that someone like him would work on his own mm-hmm. he's an eccentric fellow <laughs> yeah he's very eccentric yeah yes. maybe maybe he's uh, better off on his own yeah you know? probably yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 I mean he's yeah like you said he's doing pretty well I mean he's got a direct more or less a direct line to uh to Doctor Bison call Doctor Bison <laughs> call Doctor Bison <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like he can just skip Doctor Bison's appointments and just you know a phone call is just inserted into Doctor Bison's life and he has to deal with or it or maybe he's dealt with some legal troubles uh, uh, for Miss Doctor Bison as well you know so, so it's a bit of quid pro quo maybe Doctor you know? Bison has had some malpractice issues yeah and uh and uh. And Jackie's uh, helped him out. Yes, yes. All right, let's talk about the next... Excuse me, let's talk about the next secondary character, uh, Wilkinson. Obviously, I have no acting credits for him because he's an unseen and unheard character. And, uh, guys, you mentioned before that Wilkinson, you know, there could be some legal ramifications, you know, if he worked for the company and he gave George the stock tip and everything. Um, So I guess what more can we say about Wilkinson? I mean, what do you think? Do you think he's like a high-flying stockbroker or...? Um, I guess he's probably pretty high because he's getting he's going in for the nose job, which suggests a certain amount of wealth and also needs to keep up appearances and things like that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. That's true, actually. My impression of him, I, I didn't think of that because I only watched the episode once in preparation for this uh, and I didn't uh, make note of that. But I initially, I sort of had a picture of him as a bit more of like a sleazy kind of stockbroker. You, you know, described him off air as like a Saul Goodman. Like a Saul Goodman like type in, in, character. Like in the uh, finance industry. Like he's yeah. like he's smart and crafty, but he's, he's very dodgy. Yeah. yeah. Wears cheap suits and yeah. slicks back his hair and, yeah. you know, he's got the, the fake smile. Yeah, and he's always he's always <laughs> walking the line between, you know, uh, admirable or honourable <laughs> legal practice. Right. And, uh, you know, deliberately representing and, and, you know, using the law to his advantage. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, your, your point about the nose job. That uh, obviously paints him in a different picture. Yeah, it does. Yeah, he's very high flying, uh, high flying broker. He could be. I, I, I think what makes Seinfeld so great is, is how many of these characters that we don't ever see, but we just hear little tidbits about them. And so, like to have these, like I have one impression, you guys have a different impression. That like it opens up the imagination so much about who these people are. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we created this podcast. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of why we. That's like one of the motivations for the podcast is just just with a little bit of information you can extrapolate out you know, a whole sort of storyline or a whole person based on a few, you know, what they're wearing or like yeah. one scene with them or whatever. And and going back to the unseen characters, that's what made the show magic. That was one of the things, you know, like you could see a character or you might just hear like a couple of lines, but they're really defined, well-written characters. Yeah. It's I mean, crazy. It's scary. I, mean, I've, I've, I don't recall any other shows that have done that so well. The only other one yeah. that comes to mind, it's because I'm a big fan, is Maris, uh, Niall's wife from Frasier. You yeah. never see her. But she's yeah. she's talked about so much and she's described in so much detail that you sort of you feel like you know her as a character even though you've never seen her you don't know what she, I mean you kind of get a picture of what she looks like. I thought you were going to say Wilson from Home Improvement. Uh, well, you, you see you see the top half of his head. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. like Bob Sacamano comes to mind. I mean, oh, yeah, I, that's right. I've, yeah. I've got a whole version of Bob Sacamano in, in my head. We have to do a, an episode on Bob Sacamano. Yeah, we should okay. do one on the Unseen characters. Yeah, definitely. That'd be a great idea. For sure. Anyway, yeah. next character. Yeah, let's talk about the dry cleaner. Yeah, played by Ted Davis. Uh, he's known for his work on Doc Hollywood, The West Wing, and Phil of the Future. Uh, he's also been a chief electrician in various B-grade films from the 1970s. Okay. Yeah, like B-grade horror films. Looking at his acting credits, I don't think he's had a role since uh, 2006. Yeah, some of them. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't think he's the owner of the dry cleaner. No, he's clearly, I, he works there. He obviously doesn't care. Um, I think, he, I think his boss is giving him uh, a hard time telling him to just knock back any claims of responsibility. Yeah. For when shirts are shrunk or damaged or whatever. <laughs> so I, think, I, love I, think how, I love how Jerry comes in and it's like a shirt that wouldn't even fit on like an eight year old boy. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> so good. It's comedically shrunk. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, very, yeah. Yes. Are there any, um, I mean, again, from a legal point of view, uh, does Jerry have any, is there any liability from the dry cleaning firm? Like, does Jerry they, have a case? Would they have to cover the cost or, you know, replacement value or whatever of his shrunken shirt? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to take him to court over like four bucks, but, you know, <laughs> it would be, you know, I need some evidence. I, yeah, I mean, I guess, in, you know, in theory, the dry cleaner would have to replace this shirt. Uh, from what I, I mean, every time I've had an issue with the dry cleaner, they'll just, you know, or any kind of company, they'll just, they'll take care of it for you. But, you know, I guess, yeah, if the dry cleaner screwed up, then they would, they would have to replace the shirt, and most likely. Yeah, or pay for it, yeah. Is that normal policy for most dry cleaners, just to keep their, their reputation sort of uh, good? Yeah, I would imagine so. I've never had an issue. My dry cleaners are amazing. I've never had this problem at all. <laughs> See, nice. we've actually talked about this on uh, previous episodes. Uh-huh. Here in Australia, dry cleaners aren't much of a thing. They're very common in America, at least, you know, in sitcoms and stuff. They just seem so ubiqu- ubiquitous. Yeah, ubiquitous yeah. across American cities. Whereas here, they're a bit of a novelty. Like, they do exist, and you, it's more a case of like, you know, if you've got a special garment that you want to wear to uh, an event or a wedding or something, you might take your suit to go get dry clean, but you don't just, it's not a regular part of your, your lifestyle, whereas it seems so common in America. Well, and also notably, guys, in, in Australia as well, a lot of dry cleaners aren't standalone shops. They're kind of like built into like, you might have a dry cleaner, which is within like a convenience store or maybe like a newsstand or something. So the dry cleaner themselves, they're not like the main business. They might be like a part of like a shop. Which is really strange. Yeah. So yeah, we don't get too many like proper dry cleaning places. When I say this, we where we live in New York, uh, there are three dry client dry cleaners on this one block where we live on. Yeah. So, so, so a very large dry cleaner, um, dry cleaner market. per capita. Yeah. <laughs> three three dry cleaners per person per the, capita. Yeah. The technical yeah. term is the uh, the DCM, the dry cleaners market. Yeah. The, the, the DCM, the DCI, the dry cleaners index. I wonder if you can yeah. short the dry cleaners market somehow or yeah. shrink it somehow. Shrink it somehow. Oh, I like nice the one. shirts. Nice yes. one. Nice one. Yes. Um, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I know we're talking about dry cleaning, but um, which is inherently dry. Uh, is is it a case like I mentioned in Australia, like dry cleaning is just for for special occasions? It's not a common thing. Is that the way it is in America, or is it a regular part of your, I guess, not life, but you know, like, is it something that you do every week? You take shirts or whatever to the dry cleaning. Is it part of your weekly routine or your, you know, your everyday life? It's part of the weekly routine because if you're working in any kind of uh, any job where which requires you to wear like a button down and slacks, um, you're probably taking your dry cleaning there, you know, once every couple of weeks because you got to get those button down shirts all pressed neatly and all that. True. Um, I think especially now, like people, I think probably in, you know yesteryear people had you know irons they kept at home and things like that and did a lot of this stuff by themselves. But now the dry cleaners are just you know your people bringing their shirts there every Friday or every couple of Fridays to get things uh, pressed and, and looking nice. True. There you go. So, uh, if you work in a corporate industry or a white collar industry, it's pretty normal. 
Yeah, definitely. Is that yeah. something that's covered by work or is it a personal cost? Uh, I don't know. That might be a, a fun fringe benefit to ask for. Yeah. Yeah. Dry cleaning. Insurance and dry cleaning. Yeah. Insurance yeah. and dry cleaning. That's really all I need. Yeah. As long as you get those two, then it's fine. Yeah. It's like, we're not going to give you any vacation and we're going to underpay you, but we'll cover your dry cleaning. Yeah. That's fine. Sign <laughs> yep. me up. I'll take it. Yes. <laughs> Done. Yep. Yeah, just like uh, Kramer. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah exactly. I'll take it. Yeah. I like it when he... Um, <laughs> it's like 50 bucks. I'll take it when he tries to buy back the rights to his book. Yeah. To the stories. Uh, I'm thinking of the episode where he tries to um, increase his percentage of the raincoats. You know, when he's like, I, and, uh, and, uh. Oh, with Morty. Jo- yeah, with yeah, Morty. Yeah, he's yeah. like, I think you're getting too much. 15%, 35%. And then they just agree on 25%, yeah, yeah. which is their, their original <laughs> agreement. It's so good. Nice. Clearly, he's not a good negotiator. No, not at all. Kramer. No. Yep. Anyway, next character. Uh, who oh. else have we got? Uh, we have... Uh, that's oh. really it, actually. Yeah, well, just a couple of notes on Robert, the second unseen and unheard character. Um, Elaine's boyfriend in the episode clearly loves cats. Yeah, and, and obviously when there's a choice between Elaine and the cats, he chooses the cats. Yeah. So he clearly... Uh, maybe he didn't like Elaine as much as uh, he would have liked or maybe he's just... His cats are too precious to him. Maybe it was a case of, you know, first come, first serve. Well, the cats were here before Elaine. So, <laughs> That's you right. know, by, by order of appearance, yeah. Elaine's gone. Exactly. Have, have either of you guys ever been, uh, like, second best to an animal? No, uh, not that I can imagine. Um, <laughs> uh, no, nah, I think I'm good. I'm, usually uh, humans take top priority for yep. my life. <laughs> oh, that's good. You've, you've, obviously, uh, you've obviously got a good bunch of people in your life. Yeah. Um, no, I never owned a pack of goldfish as a kid, but... Um, he didn't last long. Ah, oh, <laughs> they geez. never do. No, 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 they don't last ages. No, yeah. well, we'll a burial in the backyard. So, oh, okay. Did you give him like a like a proper burial? Yeah, yeah, with a headstone and everything. Oh wow, like a little yeah, tiny, a little tiny goldfish the... headstone. Yeah, it was um, just like yeah, where they try to fix a squirrel. We had a little teeny tiny uh, goldfish. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> had a small memory but a big heart. Rest in peace. <laughs> Nice, nice. That's all the uh, secondary characters for this week's episode, the stock tip. Yeah, so, and, uh, uh, yes. We'll take another break, and then uh, after that, we'll do uh, Seinfeldism, Seinfeldia, and our top tens. Yes. We'll be back. Indeed. You're listening to, but I don't want to be a secondary character. Welcome back to, but I don't want to be a secondary character. This week we are talking about the final episode of season one, the stock tip, and uh, we've gone through all of the secondary characters. We have, and can you believe it, Stephen? We have done all of the season one episodes. So have give we? us give us a round of applause, everyone. And also Zach and Aaron from Seinfeld Law have uh, been with us as well, uh, you know, talking about give, putting a bit of a like a legal point of view on uh, different aspects of the episode, which has been great. Thanks very much, guys. No problem. Yeah, thanks nice. for having us. This is fantastic. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, Seinfeldisms, do you have any? Uh, I Last night for dinner, I had calzoni. Wow. My partner made it. That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, she got, a, she got a KitchenAid, you know, one of those KitchenAid mixes. Do you guys know about those? Yeah, we, uh, we don't own one, but I, I do know about it. Oh, okay, yeah. She got one for her, her birthday um, recently. And, uh, yeah, she made calzonis. And they were wow. fantastic. I think George Steinbrenner would be very impressed. Okay. It's, he would, he would become obsessive over it. He'd say, cancel the meeting. Everyone out. Everyone out. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Ivan's in the building. Ivan's in the building. Watch that smell. <laughs> What's that smell? What's that smell? That's yes. awesome. What was in it? Uh, ham, cheese, and some tomatoes. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. I don't think I've ever had a calzone. Okay. Is it calzone or calzone? Oh, yeah. How do you guys pronounce it? We pronounce it calzone. 
Calzone. Calzone. Calzone. Calzone. Okay. Can you just for my own uh, selfish uh, <laughs> desires, can you do like a real thick New York accent and say calzone? <laughs> do you want to take this one? You want something like, hey, do you want a calzone? Yeah. Uh, hey, you want calzone? Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> Sorry, that's. I've watched too many mafia movies. You just and, insulted them. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they did it. They consented, so it's fine. That's oh, fine. There's no legal ramifications. Get there. out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, we're in Australia, so you can't touch us. That's right. MC Hammer. Boom, yes. boom. Anyway, I'll uh, I'll stop making you guys my uh, dancing bear. Yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. What's your Seinfeldism? Yeah, so I have uh, one this week, uh, and it happened this morning, about an hour before I came over to record this podcast. So I, for about three years, uh, every day, I've been watching a Simpsons episode uh, chronologically, and I've been reviewing it uh, on uh, a little Facebook chat that I have with a few friends. And uh, this morning, I watched season, uh, sorry, episode 19 of season 28, so I'm almost at the end. Oh, my God. The light is is distantly... Uh, in, in view. Yes. Um, and one of the guests on the episode, it's called the Caper, uh, so, yeah, the Caper Chase. Yes. Was Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander. Perfect. Okay. I didn't have any Seinfeldisms up until an hour this morning. Oh, wonderful. And I was just doing the notes for the episode because <laughs> I, I do like a little episode review and publish it or like post it in a little Facebook chat, like I said. And I was looking at the guests for the episode and Jason Alexander was on it. There so you it go. Was, he was on The Simpsons. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect Seinfeldism. Excellent. I wonder if Jerry's ever been on The Simpsons. I don't think so. No. It's a memory. I'm surprised. I'm sure he's been asked. Yeah, he probably has. Yeah. Do you guys, um, I mean, living in New York, do you sort of, uh, do you make little mental notes or little humorous observations of things that happen in your real life? Um, you know, things you might see walking down the street or events that happen in your personal life that you go, oh, that's like that episode of Seinfeld. Is that something that you're, you know, you try and be cognizant of? Yeah, it happens so often. Actually, we have a uh, text message group. Uh, with a couple of friends where we're constantly just sharing little Seinfeld tidbits about things that happen in our real lives. And it's funny because you were talking about Dr. Bison earlier. The name of the group chat is called Susie Call Dr. Bison. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> nice. Susie, call Dr. Bison. Call Dr. Bison. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to meet Dr. Bison. <laughs> Well, that's another unseen character we can do for our unseen character episode. That's awesome. Yeah, sounds good. True. Anyway, Stephen, before we do get into Seinfeld trivia to wrap up the episode, uh, out of the um, 60-odd episodes that we've reviewed, where's the stock tip sit for you? Uh, it sits at number 32. Uh, 32. Right nice. in the middle. For so, me, yeah, for yeah. me, it's uh, number 46. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so in the lower half for both of us. How do you guys, I mean, we don't expect you to come up with uh, a list of your favorite episodes, but would you rate the stock tip as a better episode or a worse episode? Like, where would it sit generally if you had to rate all of your episodes? Uh, so a lot of the season one, season two episodes, I'm not as familiar with as I am with the later seasons. And like we were talking about earlier, I find them to be uh, sort of different. They're not as goofy and wacky as the later ones are, so I usually put them in the back half, but... Having uh, rewatched this in preparation for this podcast, uh, I found the humor to be uh, a little like because it was it's less goofy and it's a little more uh, targeted, and so I appreciate this episode now a little bit more than I did when I was younger and looking for like that more wacky, crazy stuff. Um, so they're all great. You know, I don't want I don't want to rank my, uh, my Seinfelds because <laughs> they all they speak to you at different times in your life and, and their humor and topics and all that. That's true. Do you guys have like a, an unequivocal favorite episode or favorite couple of episodes that just stand head and shoulders above the rest? Oh, well, well, for me, uh, the marine biologist always stands out. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a classic. Yep. And let me share a symbolism with you. I, uh, I paid for a can of Coke this week with, uh, with change. Oh, I used oh nice. I used pennies and the guy gave me a look, but what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, oh, it's legal tender. So, yeah. you know, you're that's not breaking it. any laws. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no finance laws have been breached, so. I always, I always enjoy the Merv Griffin show. Ah, oh, Merv Griffin show is a good one. Yeah, 
I always love when, when they all come on at the end of the episode when, when Elaine and George and Jerry all walk onto the set together and they play the music. To me, that's like the perfect image of Seinfeld. It's like these guys are just hanging out, thinking they're more important than they really are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how good is it when Kramer goes on a break and yeah, he starts yeah. playing the music and eating, and then he he's like, "And we're back." Yeah, <laughs> it's like to what audience? Where to are what? the cameras? Where are the cameras? Where are the cameras? <laughs> I think I think that's the perfect microcosm of. Kramer's delusion the fact you know I think I can't remember what uh, episode it is but Jerry's like you know he doesn't live in our reality like he he lives in his own little world yeah yeah and that's the perfect manifestation of Kramer's sort of you know mental wackiness yeah just the fact that he's got yeah. a he's got a talk show set in his apartment yeah, and he's pretending it's real uh, Kramer as, as uh, he plays the he, he's playing as if he's too fast for everybody yeah, he's that's like right. Yes. Yep, yep. He's, yeah. His brain's gone up in a couple of gears. Yeah, yeah I th- he definitely operates on a different level. Now, to finish off, guys, I've got some Seinfeld trivia for you for today. So today's trivia fact for Seinfeld. As ch- oh, and also to finish off, if you're a non-patron subscriber, this is the season fan- finale, so the last trivia note for the season. For about five weeks? Yes, exactly. And yes. we'll be back. Yes, indeed. As Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David went to work on their third season, their first full-length 22-episode regular season run, they had already run up a deficit of possibly $10 million at Castle Rock, the difference between what NBC had paid for the show and what it cost to make. But the uh, the returns were worth it. Oh, 100%. I think Jerry's made, like, hundreds of millions just from syndication. Yeah, yes. Know, so. I think his estimated wealth uh, or revenue after syndication is, like, three or $400 million. Yeah. Oh, man. Imagine that. Imagine just creating something that's so good and that will be a classic in 100 years. Well, I think Seinfeld, Laura, and Bidwell Basque will be those two things. <laughs> yeah, I think true. in 100 years, people will still be reading uh, Zach and Aaron's blogs and listening to us. That's true. This is a huge, this is a huge money making thing. This, in case you didn't know, guys, what this, this uh, conversation, although plagued with technical difficulties, uh, has set you up for life. That's good to know. Cause, yep. uh, oh, we could use a little nest egg on the side. Yeah, yeah sure. In case the law career doesn't work out or in case you're uh, made obsolete by, by AI, you've got this <laughs> as a backup plan. Indeed. All well, right. Well, guys, thank you so much for being with us. This is Zach and Aaron from Seinfeld Law. It has been a, great to chat to you, and uh, and uh, thanks for being with us for our season finale of Bidwa Busk. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for... Uh, oh, no, I mean, a quick break for a few weeks, Stephen. Oh, okay, <laughs> Stephen right, right. shook his head. He's like, oh, what, another break? We've already had three. <laughs> so close to the end. We're going to take, yeah, we're gonna break. take one more break. No, no, I- I'm going to be going on vacation to the United States uh, for a couple of weeks, which will be exciting. Unfortunately, I won't be going to New York. I won't have time, but I'll be in the West Coast, which will be exciting. And uh, Stephen, what, what will you be doing for a few weeks? Uh, I will just be probably turning my Seinfeld brain off. All right. It's always nice to have a bit of a Seinfeld break. Excellent. And if you are on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Bidwabask, you can listen to this episode two weeks earlier than everyone else. So this isn't your season finale, uh, but you've got two more episodes to enjoy. That's right. And uh, if you want to head over to our Patreon, you can. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash Bidwabask, B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. We're on all socials. We're on all podcast services. Uh, we have a website as well, bidwabask.com. And if you want to rate us, review us, uh, or just spread the word, that would be phenomenal. Yes. And, and Zach uh, and Aaron, where can we find your blog and also you on social media? Yeah, so we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, it is Seinfeld Law, uh, SeinfeldLaw.com, Seinfeld Law on Twitter, uh, on Instagram. Find us on Facebook, same idea. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'd love this, you know, love the followers and, uh, you know, we'll be tweeting out some fun legal-related uh, Seinfeld uh, trivia stuff. So, great, awesome. Well, uh, I look forward to the uh, to the post that will go along with this episode. And uh, yeah, thanks again for your time, for donating your time on a Saturday night in New York City, and uh, yeah, for bearing with us. It's been a really, really, really fun episode. Yeah.
been great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, yeah it's great to uh, connect with fellow Seinfeld lovers. And, Indeed. Uh, the wonders of technology. <laughs> Except AI. Yeah, AI, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All, All right. right, thanks again, guys. And we'll be back for another season of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. So... Uh, yeah, enjoy, and uh, all the best to you all. Thank you for uh, supporting us and listening to us during this time, whether you are a first-time listener or you've been with us since episode one, The Soup Nazi. Thanks again, and uh, we're going to see you in a few weeks' time for some more Bidwabash shenanigans. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. See you next time.